Father, we run to so many other things instead of into your arms, the arms of Jesus. We thank you that it's the person of Jesus in the name of Jesus that every knee will bow or every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And no matter what we're facing, no matter what circumstance we're in, you are the one who cares. You are the one who loves. And I pray, Lord, we won't compare our challenges with our own abilities or our own reference points, but we will compare our challenges with the person, the King of kings and Lord of lords with Jesus. That, God, we would stand in awe of who you are. We'd raise our hands in, in worship and lift our hearts in praise to you, the living God. And, God, that you would affirm in every person that's here today that you care, you love about us for everything that we are and you care about every everything that we're dealing with as as individuals build our faith today lord bring hope lord where there, there's lack of hope this morning i just pray god that we would again see you as the answer and i just pray that as we have indeed we've we've come into contact with you the living god as we've praised you and worshiped you that you jesus are here in this place and we ask that you continue your work in our lives, that you would change us by the living word, the word that changes our lives. And we are going to give you the glory, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. A certain bricklayer had submitted a claim to his insurance company for medical and disability benefits. The insurance company sent him a letter requesting a more detailed account of his workplace accident. The bricklayer responded with this following letter. Dear sirs, I am writing this letter in response to your request for additional information on my insurance claim form. You said in your letter that I should explain more fully, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the date of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of brick left over. Rather than carry the bricks by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel using a pulley which fortunately attached to the side of the building at the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof and swung the barrel out and loaded the brick into it. Then I went back to the ground, untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of brick. You will note that in block number 11 of the accident report form that I weigh 135 pounds. Due to my surprise of being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground. The bottom fell out of the barrel. 
Devoid of the weight of bricks, the barrel now weighs approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight in block number 11. As you might imagine, I began to wrap a descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles and lacerations of my legs and lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of bricks, and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks, in pain, unable to stand and watching the empty barrel six stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. The empty barrel weighed more than the rope, so it came down on me and broke both of my legs. I hope I have furnished the information you require. That's not a true story. But it's a good story. How many of you have had a week like that? Maybe you had a month like that. Maybe, maybe it's a year that you have experienced those kinds of ups and downs. Some of you say it sounds like the story of my life. That may be true. Sometimes life is just plain hard. Sometimes life is just plain unfair. How many of you have ever said, it's not fair? Ever, anybody said it's not fair? Anybody said that? Okay, I'm, I'm in good company. It's not fair. Unfair happens to all of us. The question we probably ask is, does God care when life is unfair? What can we do about unfair? We've been in the book of Acts, and those of you that are joining us today, I will just try to catch you up a little bit um, as we move into the book of Acts. The, the, the primary character, the most dominant character in the book of Acts is a man named Paul. He's the apostle Paul. And he experienced through this whole time in the book of Acts things that were unfair, we would call unfair. He had gone to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to face some challenges. And, and he had gone to the temple in Jerusalem to carry out a vow of purification. It was a Nazarite vow. And to do so, he took four different companions with him, four men. They shaved their heads and they went to the temple to fulfill their vows. And they were at the end of the seven days were going to complete with these offerings. It was part of a, a temple sacrifice thing that was part of the Jewish tradition. Near the end of the seven-day purification process, before they were able to present their offerings in the temple, there were some Jews who were from Asia. They were from outside of Jerusalem, and they recognized Paul. And Paul had been going around preaching that Jesus was the Christ, and he was upsetting everything, and they were mad at him. And they recognized Paul, so they, they got this rabble around him. They grabbed him, and they started beating him. Well, there, all of a sudden, there was this crowd and an uproar outside the temple, and, and there was so much noise and so much confusion that the Roman commander, who was in, in, right next door, came running and, and, and basically took his soldiers, and he, he rescued Paul. He incarcerated him for protection. Then he wanted to find out what he was going to do. And you, you can read that later. What I want us to do, he was incarcerated overnight. And we're going to join the story in the morning when it says the next day. And I want us to turn with me to Acts 22. It's on page 905 in the Bible if you want to look at it there. But it's Acts 22, uh, starting with verse 30. It'll also be on the uh, PowerPoint in front of you. Acts 22, verse 30. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he th brought Paul and had him stand before them. 
Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, you dare to insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of the hope in the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there's no resurrection, that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. That's a whole different theological discussion. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were the Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously, we find nothing wrong with this man. They said, whatever spirit or angel has spoken to him. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went to the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked you to, me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you've reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 of spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. Now this is, this is just a little bit of drama right in the middle of this this thing, and we, we don't have time to look at every part of this, but I wanna look at some lessons about unfair. Paul was experiencing things that were very, very unfair. And asking the questions, and I want us to ask the question, does God care when life is unfair? When people do bad things, we expect them to reap the consequences, and we say, they got what they deserved. But what about when we do good things, the right things, and, and then we receive injustice in return? Is that fair? And does God even care? Paul had dedicated his entire life to serving God. Why should he experience injustice and trouble and trials and tough times? Well, let's see we can, what we can learn from, from this story. We start with the fact that there are problems in life, problems of life, 
Roman numero uno. And we find that we all experience this problem. We all experience the unfair. We define them as unfair. Now, Paul didn't experience problems because he made poor choices. He didn't experience problems because he did some wrong things. He didn't experience problems because he broke the law. He experienced problems because he was doing the right things. There are times in our life when we get ourselves into a problem and it's our own fault. And we all seem to live with the perception that, and even cast the dispersion judgmentally at people who have problems and conclude that they must have done something to deserve the problem, okay? We see somebody has a problem, they must deserve that. But sometimes it's not our fault. Sometimes it's unfair. We did the right thing, we said the right thing, took the right action, and then we still experienced unfair or problems. Paul had been arrested in chapter 21 because he had been telling people about Jesus. His obedience to God got him arrested and beaten. Now his statement that he had fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day got him slapped by the person right next to him at the command of the high priest. Now punishment didn't fit the crime. He was saying the truth and Ananias, the high priest, had him slapped across the mouth. Very offensive, and as Paul said, it was probably illegal. He spoke the truth, he testified to the truth, he was doing the right thing, and not only was he incarcerated on trial, but he basically got slapped, which is a huge insult. Now, if we've done something wrong, fine, I get what I deserve, but when I receive something I don't deserve, how, how how does that work with me? Injustice, or maybe you're abused, maybe you've experienced betrayal. Maybe someone has maligned you with gossip. Maybe stabbed in the back. Maybe you were misjudged or swindled. Injustice in our lives takes many, many different forms. And it's interesting to see Paul's reaction. I'm glad they don't whitewash the Bible. Paul got mad. Okay, Paul got mad. He, he let him have it. He did not turn the other cheek. Of course, he was hit in the mouth. So you can't, what, I don't know what you would do with that. But, but basically, he became angry. Well, just like Paul, we all experience problems, and we also react to problems. And it's, it, it's, I think it's fine, because basically, Paul in verse 3 said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, and he called him out on it. Paul's statement was true and not very tactful. Of course, as you know, injustice hurts. It hurts. It produces angry. And Paul was angry. We, we get angry. Injustice produces anger. Paul called the high priest a hypocrite. Nothing makes many of us angrier than a hypocrite pointing their finger at us. I don't know if that's happened to you, but that happens. But I'm glad this story is told accurately so we can see that Paul was human. But in spite of this angry reaction, Paul had something else that he reacted in a different way. His first action was anger, we find in verse 5. But his second action was one of Apology, apology. That's not easy to do, especially when you're right. We choose how we're going to react. And Paul did, he started with anger, then he went to apology. Why did that happen? Because Paul was learning from his problem, just like we can learn. Let us see, we learn from problems. What did he learn first? The first thing he learned here was humility. He learned humility, and he displayed that that humility. He also learned respect. 
respect. For Paul, it was a matter of respect for the office of, of the high priest. The man, Ananias, was a jerk. He was a jerk. He was unjust, unjust. But for Paul, it was a matter of respect for the office of high priest. Sometimes we're called to respect the office, even if we don't respect the person. This is a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. And it's a principle here of respect for authority, even though we don't respect the person. In Romans, uh, Paul wrote in Romans 13, 1, everyone must submit himself to governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So this is respect for authority, even in injustice, even when it is not fair, even if it's not fair. We find this in, in the Old Testament. The king of Israel, Saul, was trying to kill David. Some of you may know the story. Some of you may not. But David was threatening to him because he thought he was going to be the king after him. And he was threatened because he thought he was going to take his place. And so he sent his soldiers out to search and hunt down David to kill him. And twice, David had, justifiably so, had the opportunity to kill Saul. And, and he could have called it self-defense. But he did not. Why? Because... Saul was his authority, God's anointed leader, and David said, I'm not going to harm my leader. That's a hard thing to do. Now, maybe you have a boss, or maybe you have a supervisor who's unfair, someone that you can't respect. You're called to respect his office because God placed him or her there. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a, that's unjust or hypocrite. You cannot respect, but God has placed her there. Maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a government official. We have, a, we have such an such a incredible uh, verbiage going on now about disrespect for office, no matter where a person is. We are called to respect the office because God places all people in authority. And whether it was a past or present president or governor, past or present whatever, God places our leaders in authority. That doesn't mean we can't campaign to try to make a change. That's all part of our governmental system. But it is a matter of being respectful and respecting the office, even though they may be unjust or unfair. Now, the exception, of course, is if you have to violate Scripture or violate God's law, then that's a, that's a, different, that's a different sermon. So what do we learn? We learn humility when we deal with unjust or unfair. We learn respect. What does Paul's attitude teach us? We learn also, number three, we learn trust. This isn't in your notes. You just have to write it down. Trust. Underlying Paul's attitude in this whole situation was the belief that God was in control. God's in control. That God is sovereign. That's a hard thing to do because we like to be in control. And, and when we're in those situations when someone else seems to be in control, we have to learn to trust not the person, but we have to trust God. Trust God. Well, we learn through problems. Sometimes problems, injustice, and challenging people are God's instrument to refine us and purify us. And sometimes injustice can be something that teaches us good things. We may not be able to see it at the time, but God sees it. These problems. Uh, Andre Crouch wrote a song a long time ago called Through It All. He said, if I never had a problem, I'd never know God could solve them. If I never had a problem, I'd never know God could solve them. So sometimes he allows us to have problems, whether that's injustice or some other challenge that we have, to find out. It's, it's called faith. 
development, faith development, that God is in control. Now, the tur- there's a turning point in the story at which Paul receives hope. I can only imagine, I mean, he was, he was beaten, he was incarcerated, every, he, th- events are spinning out of control. A mob of people just around him, you can imagine how, how he would have felt. And the, the turning point is where he says, I stand on trial today because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. His hope wasn't in anything he had. His hope was in the living Jesus, the living Jesus. And that following night, we look in, in verse 11, we find that Jesus comes to Paul and he says, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So in the middle of injustice, injustice, in the middle of unfair, in the middle of Paul's problem, we find Roman numeral two, the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. Does God care when life is unfair? He must. He stuck around, he stood by Paul, he was there with him. Jesus was there with Paul, not in theory, not in theology, not in sympathy, but in reality, in fact, and in perfect empathy. In fact, What's encouraging and should be encouraging to all of us is that, that, that Jesus himself had been in a situation of unfair before. Jesus himself had experienced the kind of problems that we do. Jesus was betrayed by a trusted friend. He was deserted by the rest of his friends, all trying to save their own skins. He was arrested without cause. He was put on trial. He was falsely accused. He was found guilty. He was beaten bloody. He was mocked cruelly. He was publicly disgraced. He was stripped naked and humiliated, and he finally was murdered. So he has experienced some of what Paul is going through. In Hebrews 2.18 it says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He can identify with and understand. Hebrews 4.15 so says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. What does that mean? That means when we're suffering injustice, when life is unfair, and we're tempted to question God, to dwell on failure, become dejected or depressed, to look inward, to blame God, to blame people, blame circumstances, Jesus has been there. Jesus is in there. And because he was there, he could be with Paul. And because of that, he can be with us the presence of Jesus. Let's be more specific about the presence of Jesus. Jesus was present in Paul's past, his past. In verse 11, he talks about, you've testified about me in Jerusalem. He talks about his past interaction. Do you know that Jesus has been with you in your past? Jesus has been there in your past especially when life was unfair, especially when it was unfair. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139. It talks about God's intimate knowledge of each one of us. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 16 says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. Later it says, you can't even count the number of times that you think about me every day, God. It's talking about you. It's talking about you. God, Jesus, is present in our past. 
Some of us need to embrace that truth and realize that the things that we've been through, the injustice, the unfair, the, the problems that we've experienced, that Jesus been, has been there present at that point in time. In Psalm 56, verse 8, it says, Record my laments. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Didn't, didn't, didn't God keep a record of our tears? Another version says, Thou hast put my tears in a bottle. They put my tears in a bottle. How many of you remember the song by Jim Croce, Time in a Bottle? Okay. It was before some of you were born, sorry. Time in a Bottle. Basically... He says, I wish I could save time and, and put it in a bottle so that sometime in the future I can take that time and spend it with you, who I love. So it's a great concept, a time in a bottle. It's a great song, great pop song, and it, it, the concept of saving something for the future. Well, here, God speaks of putting tears in a bottle. There was a custom in the Near East that when a person was ill or in great distress, his friends would go see him and take along a tear bottle. And as the tears of sorrow and pain rolled down his cheeks, they were caught in this tear bottle and sealed up and preserved as a memorial of that event. Jesus has been with you when life was unfair, and he's caught your tears, so he won't forget. Not in order to commiserate and complain, but to show that he was there and he knows what you've been through. And he says to you today with Paul, take courage, take courage. What's the basis of our courage, our resources, our abilities, our friends, our possessions? No, he says take courage because Jesus has been with you in the past and he will also be with us in the present, in the present. We read a little bit of Hebrews 4. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. In our time of problems, does God care when life is unfair? Yes, he does. He's also there in our future. He guarantees his presence with Paul in the future. He says in verse 11, you must testify in Rome. He says, basically, Jesus said, I'm going to meet you in Rome. I'm going to be there. So not only being the presence of Jesus in the past, but the present, but he said, I'm going to meet you in Rome. And God knows where the intersection of your next unfair is. He knows what your next problem is going to be. And he says to you, I will meet you there. I'll be there. Future. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Future. His presence in the future. Nothing can stand in the way of God's future for you. Nothing can stand in the way of God's future for you. Our job isn't to do it. Our job is to trust God to do it. And nothing and no one can thwart God's plan for you. Nothing. Nobody. 
No person, no government, no boss, no organization, no circumstance, no limitations, nothing. God will have his way. Does God care when life is unfair? Yes, he does. And he has a plan. It's a, it's a plan we may not see yet. But he moves us through the problems of, problems of life, shows us his, the presence of Jesus. And thirdly, we see here the protection of God. The protection of God. We find that God always has an instrument of help. He always has an answer. The right people, the right place, the right time. In this case, it was Paul's nephew and the Roman commander. Great suspense and drama. Um, I would encourage you to take this, this whole section and read it in one setting. It's not that long so that you can catch an idea of what is actually going on here. The commander assigned 470 soldiers to protect one prisoner. 470 soldiers. Now, I've, I've observed prisoner transports on a time to time. You'll see a, a bus going or a van or something. It's a prisoner transport. And almost always the guards are outnumbered by the prisoners. You know, it's just, it's just a fact of life. Uh, not here. It was like 470 to 1. I mean, it was, it was like he was incredibly protected. God had a protector because Paul was supposed to be in Rome. God had a plan. God was going to protect him so he could be in Rome. We find that God has a plan. God always has a plan. How much had changed for Paul in the morning? He was still in prison. He had 40 men vowing to kill him before their next meal. There was increasing hostility. No one from the church is helping. He's lonely, alone, and helpless. But God had a plan to get him to Rome. As you read the next chapters, catch up on the story. Look at that. God always has a plan, and he protects us in the middle of the problem, in the middle of the unfair. He will protect us. Now, I want to talk about timing for a minute. God is a God of timing, and I, I have issue with him at times. I just, I, I argue with him. He's never, never early. He's never late. He's always right on time, and, and that's because he's perfect. But he has a timing sense. And here, what are the chances of the nephew overhearing this conversation and finding out about this plot? You know, doesn't say he was in the middle. You know, just somehow he overheard this plot. God is sovereign in timing. Timing. Now, there's another aspect of timing, something that we don't like very much at times. God doesn't always deliver us immediately from our problem. He doesn't deliver us immediately from the problem. Sometimes he delivers us into the problem and keeps us safe in the circumstances or he protects us or teaches us or trains us or something, accomplishes something in the problem. Witness the story in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace, the King Nebuchadnezzar story. If you're familiar with that story, they were innocent of any guilt and they were thrown into this fiery furnace. Now, God could have, God, if God's sovereign, he could have spared them from entering the fire. Instead, he sent them into the fire and protected them while in the fire. You know something? People around us that don't know Jesus need to see us going into and being in the fire. Why? So they can see that God protects us and delivers us. They need to see the supernatural power of God. And we complain and scream and 
moan and do all this stuff in the middle of our fire, in the middle of our problem. And God says, look, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to watch over you. And I will deliver you. And people will know it was me. And they'll give glory to God. God always has a plan. He delivered them in the fire, brought them out as a demonstration of his presence and his power to prove that he was God. God always has a plan. He always has a plan. And thirdly, God always comes through. God always comes through. For Paul, we don't get to see it for a few more chapters. For us, it may take some time as well, but God always consistently comes through. Where are you today? Where are you today? Chances are you're one of three places. You're either going into a problem, or you're in the middle of a problem, or you're coming out of a problem. One of those three places, either going into one, in the middle of one, or coming out of one. Does God care? Does he care when life is unfair? Yes, not only does he care, but he's with us in the middle of all of that. He protects us, gives us his presence, and brings us out on the other side. Always. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't whitewash stories, that you have told the truth in the word of God. And we thank you for this example of a very, very difficult, unfair circumstance that Paul found himself in. Father, I pray that we get in, receive encouragement from this and, and receive help at this time, that we would know that you, by your grace and your power, are taking care no matter what we're in. And I just pray, Lord, this morning that you would speak to us about your presence in the middle of problems. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be open this morning to receive from you. We're going to sing a song in a minute. I'm going to ask if the Connect Group leaders would just come up and stand up here by the, and board members up, up by the uh, altars. If there's something that you've been dealing with, a problem, maybe something that you're dealing with personally or something in your family or, or someone you're friends with, whatever that is, but you need prayer. I'm, we're just going to take some time as we sing this morning uh, about Jesus and his power. And as we sing, just come and stand or kneel, and we'll just take some time to pray for you this morning. So let's stand together, shall we, as we sing. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.